Morning, City Church. The reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Kurt, let's pray as you get seated. Father, thank you so much. Um, We see clearly that you have been preparing for this season for a very, very long time. Uh, that, that this season is yours, it's for your glory, it's for our good, it's for our joy, it's for our peace. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would uh, do that work in our hearts to increase our joy and peace, knowing that it will never end in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. It was so good to be with you, family. I know that several of you uh, either here and even our friends who are not here this morning have battled a lot of illness and flu and the junk. Uh, and so I know that's going around. And so just uh, want, want to, and we'll, we'll do that at the end, pray uh, over our family, over our friends, and over uh, really, I guess, the world is experiencing an increase in the flu and other, other junk. So we, we know what it's like to deal with uh, with diseases and all that stuff for the past few years, and I know that, that even that kind of brings anxiety with it at times, so uh, it's good to see you. I hope you're healthy. Uh, and welcome to uh, Advent. Welcome to a, a new season. Uh, this is a, a season that the church is called into every year. Uh, the four Sundays before Christmas is Advent season. And I, I probably need to uh, confess to you uh, right off the bat, this, isn't a conf- this is a confession by one of your pastors that uh, this time of year uh, usually does not thrill me. And that is not a good thing. Uh, so I, I say that, and I'm, and I'm not bragging about that or wearing that as a badge of honor by any means. It is, uh, it's out of my own uh, dysfunction and sin that I would say that this time of year usually does not thrill me. I can, I can see this time of year as a distraction, more than any, anything, I think that's because uh, I, I like rhythm, I like norm, normality, I like the routine of life outside of Christmas time. But when, when, I'm, uh, when I'm convicted, uh, when, I'm, when I'm brought to see what I'm doing with, with a little bit more clarity, and when I've repented of that sin, of, of kind of uh, not wanting to really embrace this time of year, when I do that, and take the time to really intentionally think about what we are celebrating in the next four weeks. And we are called as a church, as the family of God, to dwell upon, to think about, to treasure the birth of Jesus Christ. The incarnation of our Savior. The light of the world. The long-promised King. That actually should do something in us. Should do something in us. It's a beautiful thing. And so we are going to take the next four weeks to consider together this long-promised king. 
So if you share my tendency to be more annoyed at this time of year, then then let's hold each other accountable. Let's uh, seek forgiveness together uh, that we would not do that. I'm probably going to do something right now that's uh, even more irresponsible maybe than even telling you about how I don't tend to think this time of year is joyful. I'm going to quote from a book that I've not read 99% of. That's probably not the wisest thing to do, but I, I like what this guy has written before. And so I've, I've read the opening chapter of this book. So forgive me if, uh, if what, uh, when I actually do read the whole book, if it's uh, heresy or just false, then I will publicly apologize. Uh, but uh, his name is Trevin Wax, uh, and he just came out with a book called The Thrill of Orthodoxy. It's an interesting title. Here's the opening sentence of chapter one, and this is also, from what I understand, the thesis statement for the whole book. He says this, the church faces her biggest challenge not when new errors start to win, but when old truths no longer wow. That's an interesting thought. Probably could spend a great deal of time considering that together. Here's a couple of other things that I've highlighted so far in this this chapter. He says, why do we easily lose our wonder at truths that have informed and inspired Christians for generations. And then, finally, my favorite so far is this quote. He says, familiarity is the enemy of wonder. Familiarity is the enemy of wonder. I would say, for me, a lack of wonder is a problem that I have year-round, but I would say it's really obvious this time of year. Familiarity might breed contempt, but it also can breed boredom. So this morning, God is calling us to wipe the sleep from our eyes and maybe not necessarily find the thrill of orthodoxy in the broadest sense, but for us to discover or maybe rediscover the thrill of Advent. If you're new to the Bible, the passage that Kirk read to us just a minute ago is from the Old Testament. It's the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet commissioned by God in about 750 B.C. or so. And he was commissioned to announce to Jerusalem that there would be coming judgment on them because of their unrepentant sin. And that that judgment would come in the form of enemy nations invading Jerusalem, these enemy nations were Assyria and Babylon. They would invade, they would defeat and oppress the Jews. And the Jews would live as exiles now in a foreign land. But Isaiah also not only announces judgment in this book, he announces a great hope. The hope of a rescuer for God's people. If we back up just a few verses in Isaiah chapter 9, it says this in in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The light that shines in the darkness is then revealed to be a baby born. We see that there in verse 6 that we just heard. A baby will be born. A son is given. We see a government will be on his shoulder. So this is a king He is a king from the line of David, who was promised longer ago than this was written that an everlasting kingdom would be established by his offspring. 
this king will rule with ever-increasing dominion and peace, with justice and righteousness. And to put an exclamation point on it, he says there at the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's passionately sure. Who can stand in the way of the zeal of the Lord? So here, here was, at this time, when this is written, here was the weary world, dwelling in the darkness of their own sin and rebellion, dwelling in the darkness of abuse and wickedness of the nations ruling over them, seeking king after king after king, all of them failing to be the one who would establish this throne, the everlasting throne. Weary and maybe even worn down in in boredom. Maybe even in, in the tediousness of what was going on. But then they hear God's prophet say, you have seen a great light. I'm telling you about this light, this king, this hope. It's a sure thing. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You've got to think that if they were bored or if it was tedious before they heard that, that you you would have to think that at least there would be a little bit of thrill in their hearts when they hear those words. Now, it would be another 700 years or so before this king would come. 700 years of waiting for Jesus Christ. The light of hope, the son of David, the savior of the world, he would be born in a dark manger in Bethlehem. And so truly for us, on this side of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, we have seen a great light. We have seen a great light. Captives have been freed. Exiles have been called home. Rebels have been forgiven and adopted. And now our advent, where we find ourselves here some 2,000 years later, our advent is the anticipation of Christ's second coming to earth. You see, today there is still darkness for light to shine into. But on that day, darkness will be no more. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that is our hope this morning. This Advent, we want to consider together, who is this king? Who exactly is this king that we read about in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7? He is a king with a name. And that name we see is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And notice it's, uh, it's a name. Uh, Isaiah says, His name shall be called. So it's one name. It's not multiple names. But just like your legal name is, is usually a first, middle, and last name, uh, these are all four titles of our king. Four names in one. But why these titles? 
This is not the only place in Scripture that we see Jesus given a name or a title. But we want to explore together why, why is it important for us to know Jesus, our King, by these four titles? What do they communicate about Jesus and his kingdom? Why are they important for us and the world? So we're going to think about each name in the next four weeks. And that means this morning we'll be looking at that first title of Wonderful Counselor. Jesus, our King, is our Wonderful Counselor. A counselor. And a lot of us have been to a counselor before. Maybe you're even seeing a counselor right now. And why do we seek counseling? Why does anyone go to counseling? Well, it's because we have a problem. Something is wrong. Something, something hurts in our life. Maybe someone has hurt us. Maybe we have a need. If Jesus is identifying as wonderful counselor... It implies that we all have a problem and that something is wrong. As a biblical, biblical counselor, my goal, anytime I sit down with anyone, uh, the person in front of me, I, I definitely want them to be introduced or reintroduced, as it were, to the wonderful counselor. It's not about me. It's about showing them Jesus. And we need a wonderful counselor because our problem, what, whatever we think when we go into counseling, our problem, our need, our hurt is so much more significant than we think or know. We need a counselor with wisdom from beyond. We need an otherworldly wisdom to know how to live. In order to set us straight, we need this counselor to actually work a miracle in our life. You and I are in need of not uh, a little tune-up here and there. We're, we are not people that just need to be tinkered with on the edges. We need new hearts altogether. That's who we are. The Bible says that the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. See the, a lot of that in the book of Proverbs, for example. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. The fact of the matter is, by nature, you and I are lost fools. We're lost fools. That's the curse of Adam. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we strive to put to death our sin nature. We strive to put to death foolishness. But we can still act as if we still lived in darkness. We are a new self, but the old self, the old self still shows up sometimes. The old worldly ways tend to rear up, maybe sometimes a lot. And so a fool's hope, in fact, a fool's only hope, is miraculous wisdom. A fool's only hope is miraculous wisdom. And that's the main idea of the message this morning. By the way, hopefully you picked up on the way, on the way in a little card uh, with our announcements on the front. And on the back, there is a place for you to take notes, if you wish, during the sermon. A fool's only hope is miraculous wisdom. Now, let's take a look at this name, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Let's dig into... Uh, what each of these words mean. Wonderful. 
wonderful. That is a word that is misused in its overuse. So we say things are wonderful all the time, or at least I do. So how was your day? Wonderful. How was your run? Wonderful. How was your sandwich? Wonderful. But if wonderful literally means full of wonder, you cannot describe a sandwich that way with any integrity. The Hebrew word here translated wonderful means miraculous, astonishing, extraordinary, awesome, marvelous, breathtaking. These are thrilling words. These are wide-eyed words. These are stop-you-in-your-track words. These words describe something or someone that grabs our attention no matter, no matter what else is going on. Wonderful. The Scripture beckons us to see that word rightly. Uh, we, we should not breeze past the word wonderful. We should not tame that word wonderful. It's time to put the wonder back into wonderful. And so we will this morning, by God's help. We see wonders upon wonders throughout the Bible. All of creation spoken into existence by the one word. That's marvelous. The plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, awesome. God's victory with Gideon's army of only 300 men, astonishing. Daniel unburned with a fourth man in a fiery furnace, extraordinary. The birth of a baby boy to a virgin Mary, wonderful, miraculous. And so let's not lose the power and majesty of that word, wonderful. And let's not lose it as it's paired with this other word, counselor. Wonderful counselor. Again, a counselor is, is someone who offers uh, advice, uh, guidance, strategy, and wisdom. A helpful counselor listens well. He, uh, he or she will understand you. In fact, he or she probably will begin to know you better and better, maybe even better than you know yourself. Jesus, wonderful counselor, should have us marveling at his wisdom should be marveling at his wisdom. We should be marveling like those who, when they heard his teaching in the gospel of Matthew, said this, where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Isaiah 29 verse 14 says this, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise man shall perish. And the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Jesus, wonderful counselor, puts to shame and judges the wisdom of this world. In the New Testament, Paul says something similar in that the wisdom of the world is folly with God. And that the wisdom of this age is doomed. We are bombarded with worldly wisdom all the time, are we not? We're, we're bombarded with worldly wisdom with, uh, with modern secular therapies. We hear from so-called media experts all the time. We're offered different pop psychology. There are, are dozens and hundreds and thousands even self-help books if you go to any bookstore right now. 
These are the competing voices that tell us to look inside ourselves for a better way to live, to find inner happiness, to make our own meaning. These are the voices that say, if God exists, if God is real, He's only there to help us live out our best life now. And He's only there to help us live authentic lives now. But apart from God and His wisdom, we do not have the answers that we need. We do not have the way out of the problems that we face. We need help. And a lost fool's only hope is in miraculous wisdom. We are lost fools who think we are wise. That's the definition of a fool. That he's wise in his own eyes. So what does it look like to turn to marvelous, wonderful wisdom? What does it look like to turn to our wonderful counselor. We need help. One place we can go in Scripture, there are several. One place that we want to go to this morning is Proverbs chapter 3. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles or if you're using your phone, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. We can see very clearly how we might turn to our wonderful counselor, our Lord, for help. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be wise not in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here, In this section of Proverbs, we actually find four responses of someone who knows they need help. Four responses from someone who knows they need help from above. And we see that we trust the Lord, seek the Lord, fear the Lord, and obey the Lord. These are the four points of application this morning. You'll find those also on the handout if you're using those to take your notes. Four points of application. Trust the Lord. Seek the Lord, fear the Lord, and obey the Lord. Let's talk about each of these. First, trust the Lord with all your heart. One way we show humility in knowing that we need help is to trust the one who is giving us wisdom. This is true in counseling. As we continue to think about going to counseling and seeking a counselor to help us, when we seek someone for help, In order for anything fruitful to happen, we must learn to trust him or her. Some of us might have been hurt deeply in the past from wrong counseling, from harmful counseling. And maybe that's left us distrusting and cynical. But the Lord is worthy of all of our trust. His ways are best. If you love him with all of your heart, then you will trust him with your whole heart. So the question is, do you trust the wonderful counselor with everything? Do you trust him when it comes to difficult family members? Do you trust him when it comes to your children, to your job, to your money? Next, we trust the Lord more and more as we seek the Lord. We trust Him, and then we trust Him as we seek Him. We do not seek our own understanding of our situation. 
And the reason is our own understanding of whatever situation that we find ourselves in is limited, is flawed by sin, it's finite, it's full of blind spots. Secular people will deny that. Secular people will say that science and reasoning has been able to get us there. That, that in our common humanity, everything is able to be understood and worked out. This is the essence of Genesis 3. This is the essence of the fall at the very beginning. In Genesis 3, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a test. A test. Would Adam and Eve seek God to show them the best way to live? Or would they lean on their own understanding Would they lean on their own reasoning, tempted by the serpent, that they could be like God apart from God's wisdom? You see, it's the proud man that leans on his own understanding. But the humble man will trust the Lord and seek the Lord. Friends, God's ways are best. And as we seek Him, He will make straight our paths. We also see in this passage in Proverbs that we are to fear the Lord. This is not a terror or horror of being punished. This is a reverent awe of the God and His holiness who has made a way for us to draw near to Him. That's what we fear. In other parts of Proverbs, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that that knowledge leads to life. When we fear the Lord, we also will inevitably obey Him. We obey the Lord by turning away from evil. It says that this brings healing and refreshment. Trusting, seeking, fearing. When we do these things, it leads to action. It leads to obedience. We recognize that we are sinners in need of repentance. We need to be honest about the condition of our hearts and then turn back to Him. Maybe this is the action that you're called to take this morning. Where are you this morning as you consider obeying the Lord? Where are you tempted constantly to be wise in your own eyes? Where have you been close-fisted and controlling when God is asking you to open your hands, acknowledge your sin, and return to Him by His grace? I know so often when a preacher asks a question like that on a Sunday morning to ask of you, where in your life are you desiring control Where in your life are you operating in wisdom in your own eyes? So often the Holy Spirit will immediately bring something to your heart and mind. And maybe that's happening right now. If you're like me, when the Spirit does that, when He convicts me of something, I want to first just push it away and deny it. And my flesh say, I don't want to think about that. That's not true. But I pray even in this moment, if the Spirit is making you aware of an area in your life where you're not trusting the Lord, where you're not seeking Him, but you're seeking your own understanding, where you are not fearing Him, where you're not walking in obedience, when you're not seeking repentance and faith, that you would do so by His grace with the help of the Holy Spirit. Friends, none of this None of this is possible if it weren't for Jesus himself. 
Jesus trusted his Father with his whole heart. Jesus sought his Father in all things. He had a reverent fear of God in humility, and he obeyed his Father all the way to the cross. He came to rescue the lost and bring wisdom to fools. And we were those lost. We were fools groping around in the dark, enjoying our folly, dead in our trespasses. A lost fool's only hope is miraculous wisdom, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is our wonderful counselor. Wonderful. Wonderful was the Spirit of God hovering over a formless world to bring forth life. Wonderful was the Spirit of God hovering over an empty womb to bring forth a baby. And now light has dawned into dark hearts. Supernatural wisdom is bringing an end to worldly foolishness. Wonder upon wonder has brought us this counselor. Isaiah says we are given this son. A son is given. We can only receive what is given to us. It's a proper response. It's a gift. The birth of our king is only the beginning of this beautiful story. The most incredible, most breathtaking, most wonderful thing is not just that God himself has come to us, but that he died for us on that cross. The wonderful wisdom of the cross is foolishness to this world. The king did not come to destroy us, but to save us by receiving the punishment reserved for a dark fool, which is death. And when it appeared that what Isaiah had prophesied about a government being on his shoulder that would never end, when it appeared like that was in jeopardy, Three days later, the king rose from the grave. And that's a wonderful resurrection. The zeal of the Lord of hosts did that. The wonderful counselor lives evermore. He lives to guide his people in extraordinary wisdom. And his rule and reign will not end. In fact, it's expanding in breadth and depth. It's intensifying. And as we learn to trust, seek, fear, and obey the wonderful Counselor and Lord Jesus Christ, we do so as people eagerly waiting for His return. We are people eagerly awaiting the triumphant return of our King of the new heaven and new earth. It's a thrill. It's a thrill of hope. Because we are a weary world. But this weary world rejoices. Yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If you've come this morning to our service bracing for another season of Christmas, if you're bracing for the tediousness of Christmas, if you're like me, as I confess that you uh, this time of year just tend to put your head down, and just try to make it through and endure this time of year, 
what would it look like for us to be lifted up, for our heads to look up, for our eyes to see the renewed joy and hope that our wonderful counselor brings? Do you need help? Are you poor and needy? I hope the answer is yes, because that is the truth. We are poor and needy. We do need help. Have you surrendered the will to fix yourself? Have you come to the point where you know that you need to be recreated altogether? Have you come to the point where you realize that you don't need just tinkering that you don't need a little bit here and a little bit there, but that you actually need a new heart. You're the one he came for, friend. You're the one Jesus came for, our wonderful counselor. We need miraculous wisdom to live in our age. We need miraculous wisdom to live in our own flesh and its weakness. We need miraculous wisdom to live amid the lies of the enemy. And Jesus is miraculous wisdom, wonderful counselor, and to you, he is given. And so the question is, will you receive him this morning? And it's to that end that we will pray now. Father, we do need you. We know that we trend so easily to foolishness. We know that before you came for us that we were groping in the darkness, that we were rebels, that we wanted nothing to do with you. And yet a son has been born and a child has been given and his name is Wonderful Counselor. And so we, we, we pray for the wisdom that is from above, the extraordinary, miraculous wisdom to do a work in your people, to help us see who you are more clearly, to help us know the best way to live. We, we know that this time of year that there is competing interest all around us, the fight for our joy, the fight for our attention. I pray that our eyes would be on you. I pray that we would trust you with our whole heart, that we would seek you and not our own understanding, that we would fear you because of who you are. You're holy and you've come near so that we might obey you. So where we are walking in sin and where we are walking in foolishness, I pray that you would bring us back, that you would allow us to walk in repentance and seek you with our whole heart. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our wonderful counselor, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.